All right, good evening, everybody. Okay, now this is going to be the fast track, so hang with me here. Uh, one of the things uh, that I had the privilege of learning when I was a school administrator was uh, uh, trying to motivate kids. You know, kids don't want to make a good grade. I mean, one out of seven kids, uh, according to the Department of Education, have the ability to make straight A's, one out of seven. Six out of seven do not. They can make an A in a certain subject they're good at. One out of seven, they're just, they don't care what they read, what they study, they're going to make a good grade. Now, I like to think that just about most humans. Not everybody's good at everything. There's some things I'm good at. My wife's better at other things. I got kids that are better than other things. The Bible says your gift will make room for you. And so when you read the news, you know, I was uh, talking to one of the kids earlier today, you know, the world's just, they're scared. They don't know what's going on. You know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when I took over the school years ago, it's like the reason I was given the job was because uh, everybody hated our school. Now, we had a Christian school. That time had about 300 kids in it. And, and so my pastor, Joe, you're going to have to take over the Christian school. And I said, I, I don't, I don't want to take it over. I don't, I don't know anything about education. I hated school when I went to school. I only, I only went to school because I needed a better job. So I didn't go because I loved education. I'm trying to learn more to get more money. I, I have a lot of hobbies. Work's not one of them. I was trying to make more money. He said, no, you're going to have to do it because people like you and they don't like our school. I thought, well, they don't like your school because your, your school stinks. It's not any good. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's not a good school. And we had such a misconcept, and still do to this day, what a Christian, quote, unquote, school was. Christian school. I said, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time and place for everything. There is. Church is church. School is school. Work's work. Vacation is vacation. Quit mixing stuff up. I said, I, and I personally, I still to this day, and I served uh, with Oral Roberts University for 10 years as a commissioner. Uh, we accredited schools all over the world. And, uh, and we would go in if somebody wanted to get their school accredited. They'd call one of us in. We would fly in, and we'd spend one day, actually two days, but the first day. And our job, the first day, is to talk them out of it. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not making this up. This is what Oral Roberts University Education Fellowship, all of us had the same job. What's your job? Well, this guy over here in Colorado Springs wants to start a Christian school. They're wanting you to come in and tell them how to do it and explain the process. And you have one job, talk them out of it. Because if you can talk them out of it in one day, they have no business doing it. And so our job is to tell all the negative. Man, you better think about this. This thing will eat your lunch up. You'll end up shutting your church down. This thing will cost you. You think people are opinionated about giving tithe checks. They start writing tuition checks and hell will open up. This is going to get ugly. And so if you couldn't talk them out of it, then the second day you'd tell them how to do it. <laughs> so you change hats. And so because I was doing this myself and I didn't want to, I wasn't qualified, I had no business being an educator. I mean, I believed in education. I, I did, but I don't want to be one. And so I thought, well, what, what are we going to do? And uh, I realized kids don't read their Bible and they're Christian. They're not reading their chemistry books and they're taking chemistry. Like, what are you doing in this class? Well, I have to have it. Well, why don't you read your book? Well, I don't understand it. Well, you're certainly not going to understand if you don't read it. So I'm going to help you here. So one of the first things we'd always do, uh, our school, Grace Christian School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, became the number one academic school in the United States in our organization, and we held that for five years. Now, that's what made me semi-famous. People thought, boy, you're a genius. No, you have no clue. You have no clue how we did this. This was a, this was a carny job from the beginning. <laughs> this was all carnival. It was all carnival. Biblical, but carnival. I said, listen, guys, now, I, I spent seven years in night school going after my degree. You know, I'm, I mean, I, I, 
I didn't want an education. I wanted a job. I didn't want an education. I wanted a job. I don't want an education. I want a job. You understand that? Try to keep this real simple. So when I took over, I realized uh, when we went to Oral Roberts University to get the school accredited, um, I'm sitting there, and we're applying. We're applying. Will you let us be accredited with you? There's seven accrediting organizations in the United States that the federal government, the federal government does not accredit public schools. They don't accredit anybody. They recognize organizations that accredit. We were one of the seven that they recognized. And so I go over. I'm sitting in the class. Dr. David Han, who was the dean of education, he's sitting there, and we're from all over the United States thinking about going through this process to become a real school. Well, there's rules, regulations, you know, rewards and punishment, Ephesians 6.4. And so we're going around introducing yourself. And so when they got to me, now you stand tell who you are. My name's Joe McGee. I'm with Grace School here in Tulsa. The minute I said it, Dr. David Hand, who's a friend of mine, looked at me. And I didn't know him at the time. It's my first time to meet him. When I said who I was and where I was from, he went, oh, <laughs> we've heard of you. And, of course, we were horrible. We had a horrible reputation um, in every way uh, because we thought a Christian school was a school for kids who got kicked out of other schools, that we were a reform school. You know, we're Christian. We'll reform you, <laughs> you know. No, we're an academic institution. Um, if you don't want an education, don't come here because we're going to run about one to two years ahead of everybody else. If you don't want this, don't come here because we'll give you an F and you're going to pay for that. Don't, don't come here, you know. And uh, parents are always trying to write checks because their kids are in trouble somewhere else and, hey, maybe this Christian school can fix them. We're not a reform school. Uh, you can only teach those that are teachable. If you're not teachable, you don't need a teacher. You need a trainer. That's the parent's job. Parents train. Teachers teach. I'm not a circus down here. What, what do you think we're doing down here? Well, this thing you can fix it. No, no, we don't fix. No, we teach teachable people. They don't have to be perfect. They don't need to be saints, but they need to be teachable. You know, if you're not willing to learn, nobody can shove it down your throat. And so coming from my background in business, I thought I didn't approach it as an educator. I hired a great uh, assistant principal, uh, John Dunlavy. Uh, went to the University of Massachusetts. He was a genius. Worked for the U.S. Geological Survey. He was just a walking encyclopedia of information. And uh, just real humble man. But I said, you're going to take care of the academics, okay? I'm the carny guy. I'm going out front. You make sure we're doing everything legal, okay? And that was basically what he did. But my job was to put a face on our school. So I thought, well, we need to change our image. We are horrible. We've had kids get kicked out of school for drugs, pregnant, dropped their britches in the hallway. We're just a horrible school. So we've got to change our image. So let's kind of change the name around, and um, let's get a crest. Now, my wife used to love reading magazines, you know, women's magazines, Woman's Day, Cosmopolitan, Southern Living. And so if you look at the back of women's magazines, they're advertising for military schools. I don't know why, but I guess they're appealing to the mothers. And so if your child's having a problem, you come to Bitter Bob Academy here in Virginia, and we're going to make a man out of him. So they'll show a young man in a uniform like he's at West Point. And I, and I always, every time I would look at that, I thought, that's fascinating. And so now that I'm in charge of the school, I begin to look, and I thought, hmm, that's fascinating. Why, what is it they're appealing to? So I begin to call them, write them, hey, can you send me a packet? No, I'm not going. I just want to know what it is you do. If you want to be wise, walk with wise men, you know, I want to learn from somebody else that's already learned. So I noticed one thing in common immediately. They all had a crest. Every one of them had a crest. So they all have a crest. Where'd they get the crest? 
They didn't inherit the crest. They started the school. They must have invented the crest. I thought, we need a crest. We need a crest. And so we had a great artist who was a missionary in Mexico come through for the summer. And I got on and said, I want a crest. I want a crest for our school. I want a nice crest. I don't want, now don't take any of this wrong, I don't want a cross. I don't want a dove. I don't want any scripture. I want a crest. I want a lion or a tiger or a bear or something. I want some Latin. I don't even want you to know what it says. I want something. And so he designed me one. And we had an artist paint it and hang in the lobby of the Christian school. Beautiful. Had lights on. I'm like, whoa, that's something. That's our school. Well, not really. We just made it up. But it's what we want to be. What is it? Well, it's, it's got two lions on it. Got a Latin. I still can't remember what it meant. It was something good, though. And... Uh, and then we made all the boys that came to school, 6th to 12th grade, you're going to have to wear a tie to school every day. What? Every day you've got to wear a tie. I don't own a tie. Go buy one. You cannot come into my building as a 6th to 12th grade unless you've got a tie on every day. Why? Because kids who wear ties act different than kids who have tie-dye T-shirts on. Because, <laughs> listen, I grew up during Elvis's time. We dressed like Elvis. People said, you have gangs? We did. We just didn't call them gangs. We weren't hoods. We were just... Ignorant, redneck, hanging out, beer drinking, you know, watermelon stealing, stop sign stealing, you know. <laughs> you know, we're just redneck, trying to be somebody. So I noticed when young men wore ties, they act different. Hard to act cool when you have a tie on. You just sort of... So we sort of pulled the stinger out, to be honest with you. So we got a crest, and then I said, we need a, we need a motto. We need a motto, who we are, what we're trying to do. And uh, so we got a motto and a crest. I said, and then we need, we need some plaques because every school you go into, every school, public, private, Catholic, doesn't matter, in the lobbies where all the trophies are. What is this? Well, this is all of our, this is who we are. You know, it's our basketball trophy, our football trophy, our baseball trophy. This is our All-American. And it's like, it's all either athletic or music. There's nothing academic. It doesn't exist. I said, do you not get a trophy for making an A? You know, we ought to get some trophies for some A's. Why? Because this is an academic, it's an academic institution. We're trying to get an A. But we don't honor an A. We just say, you ought to make one, and you're stupid if you don't. And we don't honor anybody's gift. And not everybody's going to be a straight-A student. Six out of seven will not, but their daddies and moms are still writing tuition checks. Now I'm going somewhere real important, so you hang with me here. So I went to a graphic artist guy and said, I want a plaque. I want 12 plaques, a real fancy thing for everything we teach. Uh, you know, if you can win a letter for football and a letter for baseball, I want a letter for trigonometry, for calculus, for algebra, for foreign language. If we teach it, I want a letter for it. I want every kid in our school to wear a letter jacket. Every kid's going to wear a letter jacket. Because I don't know about you, but I played football, baseball, and wrestling, and I had a letter jacket, got all kinds of stuff, loved to play sports. When I got out of high school and went for a job interview, <laughs> they could care less about my letter jacket. Because the day after school, you wear that, you look incredibly stupid. <laughs> you spend all your high school year trying to get it, and then the day after you graduate, hey, you need to take that off because that's really stupid. Like, I worked myself sitting getting this jacket. Means nothing, looks real stupid, you're out of school now. And when I went to do job interviews, I usually interviewed with people who never played sports. They, they were studying while I was playing sports. Real embarrassing. They would ask questions I didn't have the answer to. I don't know. I mean, my first job interview, they asked me about the, the daily news. About, did I read a newspaper? Was I up on current events? I know about river currents and bass fishing and trout fishing. I don't know about current events. I don't care about current events. 
and I didn't get that job. And, uh, and I realized we're going to have to provoke people to good works. And so we lined the lobby with this beautiful crest. Everybody had to wear one. And we have a trophy case, but not just for basketball and baseball. We have it for academics, a huge trophy for academics. And so we were competing at Old Roberts University in the national finals competition every year with schools from all over the United States, Maryland Hickey School, you name it, Earl Park School. If you had one, you had to go. It was mandatory. Earl made it mandatory. At the end of the week-long competition from schools all over America, packed into ORU that summer, uh, they would honor the top <laughs> academic school, the top music school, and the top athletic school. You know, because there's competition, ball games, music events, singing, choral, choir, uh, and so forth. Then they had academic bowl and, and spelling bees and math bowls. And, and I noticed the three trophies the first week. I noticed the athletic trophy was massive. I mean, huge. I mean, it was three foot tall. Uh, the music trophy was about two foot tall, and the academic trophy was one foot tall. Now, we're standing in the back. At that, we're just watching. We're not involved yet. We're just watching. This is what we're trying to become a part of. And I remember asking Mr. Dunlavey, my assistant principal, why are those trophies different sizes? He said, I don't know. Well, there must be a reason. This is Old Roberts University, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking. There must be a biblical reason why all three trophies are a different size. So we went up and asked Dr. David Hand at the end of the thing. I said, Dr. Hand said, I really enjoyed this. We're looking forward to being a part of this because now we've been approved to go through the three-year accreditation process. Why is the academic trophy the smallest one? And he's my friend. He said, what? The, the three trophies for the three top schools in America, the top athletic school in America, the top music school in America, and the top academic school in America. Why is the academic trophy the smallest one? He said, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, aren't you in charge? And he smiled. Well, yes, I am. But I don't know why they're different. They've always been different sizes. Well, you know, parents put their kids in a private school. They're writing checks for academics, not for a sports program. You know, if that's what parents write checks for, shouldn't that trophy be the same size as the big one? Well, I never thought about it, but we'll look into that. And then, then the next year, they're all the same size. Now, I realize, and I'm trying to go somewhere. Hang with it. I read, nobody valued academics. Humans hate school. We have a 33% dropout rate. Now, I'm talking about life, but I'm using an illustration to point something out. Sometimes we're blinded to things we can't see it until somebody shows us a different view of it. So I told my assistant principal, I said, we're going after that trophy. They don't value that trophy. Because when they're having competition, who is the third best academic, uh, athletic school, second best athletic, first athletic, man, kids are interrupting. Christ Chapel, man, they're on the hill. Everybody's yelling. The academic, nobody even applauded. They can care less who the best academic school was. I said, they put no value in this. I said, we're going after. Find out the areas. Well, there are 27 areas you compete in to get that academic trophy. I said, we got nine months to get ready. We're going to win that next year. We might be a novice school, but we're going to come up from the backside. They won't even hear us coming. Nobody puts value on that. And so we went after it. We practiced. We bought the Bible Bowl games, you know, where you practice four people against four people. We got the questionnaires. Every kid's participated in spelling beans every week. Uh, every kid had to participate in a science fair. You're all going to do a science fair project, every, every one of you. You better do good, I'll give you an F. And so we forced them to enter areas they were not comfortable with nor were they familiar with. But the next year, we won when they called out. And we only had 34 high school students in our entire school because we had just been, we went from 300 to 124. I mean, we, we just almost got destroyed. But so we're going after this. And so when they called our name, number one academic school in the United States is Grace School here in Tulsa. Well, we're in the back because we're the little school. We can't get seats down front. <laughs> we're brand new. We're at the back. We're the back of the back of the bus. 
And so our families erupted in the back of Christ Chapel. Wow. You know, they thought. And everybody turned around and looked at us like, who are they and who cares? <laughs> and so Billy Joe Darty, who had the biggest church in Tulsa at the time, and Dr. DeMuth, who was his administrator, number one Christian school for years, they were just known for everything. Uh, Dr. Ruth called me the next day and said, congratulations. I said, thank you. He said, how did you do that? I said, we just did. <laughs> and, uh, and so what we did, we had the, the graphic artist design a beautiful brochure because there are 43 Christian schools in Tulsa. We're competing against one another. I'm not praying for you. I'm trying to whip you. <laughs> now, I'm trying to be as honest as I can. I am praying for you. I'm praying for me. And take heed to yourself. I'm the end the floor. And so we made these magnificent Artwork, beautiful. I mean, brochures, threefold, incredibly dark blue. Had our logo on the front embossed to it. You know, our new Christian school logo with our crest and all the Latins on there. And then at the bottom we had this statement. Number one Christian school in the United States. Number one academic Christian school in the United States. Well, buddy, we brought hell out of the ground. People call it, you're not the number one school. Yes, we are. Old Roberts University. We belong to ORUF. You can check it. We won last summer. We are the number one academic school. Well, you won national finals. That's right. And national finals, the thing we won is we are the number one. There are seven accrediting organizations in our organization. You can call Oral Roberts if you'd like to. We are the number one academic school in the United States. We got the trophy to prove it. Well, that's not right. <laughs> Maybe not, but we are. You're not. You can't put that on your brochure. <laughs> and we went from 124 students to 712. I'm trying to help you here. You've got to get outside your box and think different. God's real stinking big. He loves to part water and make axe heads float. He just loves to show off. I mean, heaven's gaudy. Martha Stewart did not decorate heaven. Um, <laughs> heaven looks like TBN. It's just gaudy. Gate made out of one big pearl. I'd like to see that oyster. <laughs> Streets are so pure gold you can see through them. God's got a laser light show of emerald green going on behind them. Pew, 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 pew. There are angels around God have six wings, not two. Eyeballs on every side of their head like, God, what were you thinking? I don't know, kind of wild, isn't it? God's gaudy. God's a show off. God looking for somebody to show himself strong through. That's why he's looking for humble, teachable people. So anyhow, we changed our whole atmosphere at school, and it was incredible, and um, some of the greatest years of my life when I was there. But we realized, and people would ask me, so how'd you do that? I said, well, it was mostly marketing. And then we began to test our students. We'll get into this Tuesday night on some of the parenting things. Uh, I told, I got six kids. I said, Quit competing against one another. Do not compare yourselves among yourselves. I never looked at my six kids' report cards at the same time. Uh, my oldest daughter, she was gifted to make A's. Again, that doesn't mean she kept her room clean. Character's a separate issue. She was gifted to make an A. She just was. And so if she came home with a B, and she did one year, I grounded her for Christmas. I grounded her. You're not supposed to make a B. You're gifted to make an A. Now, my third daughter, if she made an A in algebra, or if she made a C in algebra, I remember the days did. If she made a C in algebra, we bought cake, ice cream, had a party, invited people over. <laughs> because math was just not her deal. And I knew it. I said, baby, look, we just need you to pass. 
because you can't get into college without algebra two. You need to pass it. I don't give you no money. I know it's not your deal. And I told her, I said, don't ever build a bridge. If you build a bridge, I'm not driving across it because you stink at math. <laughs> and so Corey's gift was, was words because she's a middle child, and that's why she ended up being a journalism major. <laughs> she, she writes for uh, Oklahoma Magazine, uh, a Christian woman today. She writes for a lot of major magazines. Why? Words. Why would she go with words? Because she's a middle child. She used to say, I hate being a middle child. I hate being a middle child. I said, why? I don't get anything new. I get nothing new. That's right. We buy good stuff, and it's coming down the line, and it still works. Put it on. And, uh, and, it's, and I always have to help out with the babies. That's right. The old ones are gone. You're still here. Help out. Change the diaper. Come on. And, uh, and I remember, because and, I love biographies. I've collected over 1,200 biographies. I love to study about people that made it in life, that came over, overcame great odds. And, and so I set her down one day. I said, babe, you better thank God you're a middle child. God made you a middle child on purpose. She said, what? God did this to you on purpose. Why? Because you're not going where the other children are going. You're not going there. You've got to be different. God knew where you needed to be born. The great Madeline Manning Mims, Olympic track star, you know, her testimony. She said, Mom would get me up there in, the, in Chicago, walk me down three flights of stairs at 5 a.m., make me run around the block in the morning. Mom wasn't trying to make me a track star. She's trying to keep me from dying. My lungs were bad. So she's running to get me to live. Madeline said, my mama put me back in bed one morning after running, and it just dawned on me that I never saw any of my friends running around the block at 5 a.m. You know how a kid, you just think different, like, Mama, how come none of my friends are ever running around the block, you know? Adam said, my mother sat on the edge of the bed. She said, honey, you're not going where the other children are going. The price you pay is different. Most of our kids want to be like everybody else. We just want to be like everybody else. God doesn't want you like everybody else. God made you unique, very different, stand out, be different, excel. Uh, when my daughters ran cross country, <laughs> we didn't have cross country in my school. That's just a, that's a dumb sport. I mean, we didn't have it. We had track. You know, in track, there's stands, and there's a hot dog stand, cheerleaders. We've got a band, like football, baseball. We all have fans and stands. Cross country, my daughter said, Dad, we're going to start cross country. So great, great. And they told us, by the way, it's over in Oklahoma City, our first meet. Oklahoma City? Oklahoma City? Two and a half hours away? you got to be kidding me. And so, you know, gas and $27 from McDonald's, we drive over there, and, and it's a cow pasture. We drove two and a half hours down there to a cow pasture. What is this? There's a used car flag, two eight-foot tables and some buses. And there weren't 12 parents. They've already learned about this. And so, you know, there's a couple hundred kids out there like, what? What is this? What, 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 what? Say, there's no stands. There's no bathroom, no coffee, no hot dogs. Like, what, what is this? Well, it's cross country. Well, what, what, where do you run? Well, they... We get up there, and they, you know, you're not even on the even line. You're just herded like cattle. And somebody shoots a pistol, and you take off through the woods. Where are you going? Well, they've got it marked. It's cross country, and we'll be back in about an hour. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Now, my second daughter, Jessica, was a great track star. She's gotten one more medals, Tulsa Run and stuff. She can run. She's not fast, but she's forever. She can run forever. <laughs> like, she's just like, she's relaxing in a chair. And so she's always won awards, and so now she's going to do it instead of public station, she's going to do it for school. So all of a sudden they fire the gun. I'm sitting on the hood of Suburban. I thought, what a waste. What a waste. I drove two and a half hours to sit on the hood of my Suburban. There's not a bathroom. There's no coffee. There's not a hot dog. What kind of stupid sport is Who thought this sport up? 
Well, about an hour, they're starting to come back out of the woods, and Jessica's always in the top five, you know. And there, there were 187 that day, I remember, 187. And so I'm looking, so I'm starting to stand up and applaud, and here comes the first one, you know. Well, all right, where's Jessica? There's one, five, ten, twenty, and thirty. And <laughs> where's my daughter? Well, after a while, I thought, she's got hurt. She's probably broke an ankle or fell in the ditch or something's happened. She, she's never been less than 10th. Where's my daughter? And I told him, I got to go find her. Here she comes, number 118. <laughs> so I'm down there, the two tables and the used car flag, and I'm waiting on her. And she's crossing, and I'm mad. I have wasted a whole Saturday, run out gas in a 12-mile-to-the-gallon Suburban, spent $27 at McDonald's and the toll fees to come sit on the hood of my... Where you been? Hey, where you been? What happened? Wait, I'm in. Where you been, babe? They don't give ribbons for 118. They don't give ribbons for that. I'm not going to waste a whole Saturday to see you come in 118. And she finally explained what happened. So what happened? She said, well, I was getting ready to run, and some of my friends said, hey, can we run with you? You run with us? Sure, because we all want to be loved. Let us run together. <laughs> And they paced her. And she didn't run her race. She ran their race. I said, the purpose of a race is to win. <laughs> I, said, I said, if you ever do this again, you're coming out across country. You can stay home Saturday, run around the house for an hour. Just run around the house, and I'll give you a ribbon. But I'm not wasting the whole Saturday to watch you coming in 118. We're not ever doing this again. I said, if you're running cross-country and you don't see anybody else, <laughs> one of two things are happening. You're either doing really, really good or you're doing really, really bad. But if you see anybody else, you're doing nothing. You're just one of the pack. God designed you to be unique and different. What are you supposed to be doing in life? What are you supposed to be good at? Why are you always grouting about somebody else? What are you supposed to be doing? What are you gifted at? So I want to give you some scriptures here. We're going to start Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, 6. Uh, where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. My main job as an individual, whether I own a business, uh, my ministry, even with my staff, or my children, my job is to plant vision. My job. What's your job? Plant vision. Why? Well, because the greatest thing on this planet is the work of God. It was here when we were born, if Jesus tarries, it will be here when we die. We have one job, and that's to pass it on to the next generation. So the pastor had a great class at ORU and leadership class one summer. Dr. Don Petrie, who started CBN University for Pat Robertson, taught it. He's a great guy. And, and so uh, there were 12 of us in there in that class and uh, the master's program. And so, gentlemen, I have a project for you this week. I'm going to give you 12 pairs of people from the Bible. I want you to tell me who the best leader was between the two. And so I'll just give you the first two because some of a long deal. Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha. So we're sitting there and say, you got a week. I'm not going to see you the rest of the week. Get together, get your scripture. And some Friday, pick a spokesman from among the 12 and you're going to present to me 12. who's the better leader among each one of those. All right. Of course, we went after it, and we thought it, it looked too easy. I thought, there's something wrong with this. This is a trick. There's something wrong. 
Because Moses and Joshua, who's the better leader? No doubt about it, Joshua. Moses lost his temper, slapped the rock, instead of speaking of the rock, did not get to cross over into the promised land. Has defended Israel twice, kept God from killing them, endured everything, believed God for them, led them, corrected them, and all of a sudden he loses his temper one time. He can't go. God said, no, you can't go. You lost your temper. You're going to represent me, and that's not what I did. You did that. You're standing on this side of the river. Joshua will take him across. So great leaders are people that finish something, not people that start something. Then Elijah and Elisha. And so all of a sudden, you read Nicholas. Elijah, same thing. Lost his temper. And here, God, kill me. Just take me on you. And finally, God sent a chariot, took him home. Elisha shows up, does twice the miracles. Starts the school of the prophets. Who's the better leader? Elisha. Elijah got mad, lost his temper. The chariot took him home. Elisha built the school. And so we hand all this information in on Friday, and Dr. Petrie's looking at us, just listened to us, and we had a guy made the, the report. He's just sitting on his desk. Said, well, all of you get an F, you all flunk. We thought, I knew it was a trick. It was a trick. What is it? And that's where the statement came from. Gentlemen, the most important thing on this planet is the work of God. Uh, your job's to pass it on. Moses was the better leader because when Moses left, he left a successor. When Joshua died, he left no successor. The entire country went back into sin. When Elijah went home to be with Jesus, he left a successor in Elisha. Reluctantly, but he left one. When Elisha passed away, he left no successor. Even though he had a school of the prophets, he left no successor. Your job is to pass on the faith to the next generation. That's what we're doing as a church. What are you doing? Raising up new converts. Teaching people. What? Pass on what I taught you. You know, what you received, you know, pass on to others. And so all of a sudden I realized, parent, I, I, I got to do this. So this is the middle of our finance book. Really should not be in there. Uh, I did this on purpose. This is our financial seminar. And so in order to plan a vision, um, I still do this. I do this every year. I get together with my kids. I've done this for years. And um, I realized years ago that I, 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 Denise and I are good parents. We're not perfect parents, but we're good parents. We are, you know. Took care of you, nurtured you, fixed your crooked teeth, fed you, bathed you, went to you, sent you to school and Sunday school and youth group, and you went on mission trips, and we wrote checks and fixed your hair and taught you how to drive and helped you get your first car. And, oh, ho, oh, oh. ho. But I realized one day they're about to leave home. And I thought, they're about to leave home. Have I covered everything? Because I'm telling you, so Father, you'll think that. What's going on? My kid's getting ready to leave home, get married, go off to school, go to college. Have I covered everything with you? Because I realize once you leave under my domain, I'm going to lose some influence in your life, and somebody else is going to pick that up. Have I covered it? Have I prepared you for adulthood? Do you know where you're going, how to get there? Do you know how to repent quick, forgive quick? Do you know how to get your faith built up, feed the word? You, do you know the important thing? So I thought, I need to make a priority list. And so I began to think, no, there's some things I've not done. And so this is when we started back when Sarah and Jessica were getting older. I said, no, we're going to meet once a year. And so this is a secular seminar. It comes to Tulsa about every three years. It costs $1,500 to go to it. They come to the Maybe Center at ORU. Secular, not Christian. It's a leadership seminar. They will pack that place out, 10,000 strong, $1,500 a pop, to come learn this one-day leadership skill seminar. And basically, here's what they're going to do. They're going to cover six words. It is a who, what, where, how, why, when seminar. They're going to get you to answer those questions. Who are you? What are you doing here? Where are you going? Why do you want to go there? How are you going to get there? I mean, it's just a who, what, where, how. I thought, you know, I went to that seminar. I wrote the check. And what would you think? Wasn't that big a deal? All that's in the Bible, you know, if you'll read it. 
I said, I'm going to do this with my kids. So they were having a Christmas. It was after Christmas, before New Year's. We were at the house. My two older kids that were in college came back and said, okay, we're doing something different today before we have Christmas dinner. What's that? So we're going to give you a little project here. It's going to take about 20 minutes. So they sit down at the kitchen table there. We're getting ready to have Christmas dinner uh, between Christmas and New Year's. Basically, and I give them all a blank piece of paper, and i got a stopwatch. So here's a blank piece of paper. you got two minutes, 120 seconds. 120 seconds. I'm on a time. You've got a pencil and piece of paper. You've got two minutes to tell me who you are. Who are you? I want one sentence on that piece of paper. I don't want a novel. I don't want a paragraph. I want one sentence. Who are you? And do not write your name on that piece of paper. <laughs> I know your name. I named you. I want you to tell me who you are. Well, we're getting ready to start. Of course, I get all my six kids. Like, well, what do you mean if we don't write our name? What do you mean who? Who are you? Well, I'm Sarah. I told you I don't want your name. I named you. You didn't name you. I named you. Who is Sarah? Well, I don't know what you mean. That's why we're, that's why we're doing this. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. There are 134 scriptures in him, in whom, and in Christ in the Bible. Evidently, you don't even know one of them. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you don't know who you are. And the devil's going to take you out. He'll lie to you and gum flap you out of everything just like he did Adam and Eve. So I gave them the first three scriptures. This is who you are in Christ. And I gave them the scriptures. Okay, give them that paper back, another piece of paper. What are you doing here? You got two minutes, 120 seconds. What are you doing here? And Chris said, he invited us to dinner. Now, I don't mean at my house. What are you doing on this planet? <laughs> well, you and Mom wanted to have us. No, we didn't. We were not thinking about you. You are a surprise. Trust me. <laughs> you were not on my mind that night. <laughs> what are you doing on this planet? You know, what are you doing? And, of course, they stymed again, and I gave them three scriptures. Where are you going? Where are you going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years? I want a five-year plan. Where are you going to be in five years? And so I went through the whole thing and helped them lay out. And, of course, when we did, the, that six pieces of paper, the seventh piece is just a, it's a graph. It's just a five-column columns of five-year plans. The top was the year, next year, third year, fourth year, fifth year. I said, now that you know who you are, what you're doing, and where you're going, why you're here, and so forth, tell me where you're going to be in five years. I want one sentence in this little square. Five years now, where are you going to be? Now, this, this first year we did, I remember Sarah said, well, in five years, because I'm, I'm taking them one at a time, I said, where are you going to be in five years, Sarah? She said, well, I'm going to be a junior in college. I certainly hope so. Praise God. Where are you, where are you going to be in, in four years? What? Where are you going to be in four years? I'll be a sophomore in college. Yes, you will. Where are you going to be in three years? Freshman in college. Yes, you are. Where are you going to be next year? Senior in high school. Yes, you are. So what's going on this year? What? Well, I'm here. No, what are you going to do this year? I don't know. I said, well, you're going to summer school. We were going to go to Disney on vacation, but we're not. I've canceled that. <laughs> you're going to summer school. Praise God. What? And everybody got quiet. What? Because they know something's up. What's dad doing? He's read another book. <laughs> I said, well, you can't get into college unless you can pass algebra two, and you have flunked it two years in a row. <laughs> and if you don't pass, you won't be anywhere five years. You'll be living with me. I don't want you living with me. I want you to move out. Go be an adult. So you're going to go to summer school for six weeks and take algebra two. Isn't this exciting? Okay, Jessica, let's go to you now. Where are you going to be in five years? And buddy, it got sober. I mean, there was nobody laughing. But, I, but, but now for years, and so we just uh, had vacation. We were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee for family vacation at Christmas. And, and I always let the kids and the spouses come, but we do the same thing. I own you for half a day on this vacation. One half a day during this week, I own you. We're going to sit down. I do the same thing. Six pieces of paper. Who are you? And you better quote me some scripture. I better not have to hand it to you. What are you doing here? Where are you going? When do you plan to get there? 
Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there's no vision, people perish. So our news is driven not by the future, but by the past. What happened? What didn't happen? What should have happened? What they should have done? What they didn't do? Why they didn't do it? I'm not going backwards. I'm going to tomorrow. I have no time machine. I cannot go into my past. I'm going forward. Uh, I had a chance. I was up in uh, uh, Boston doing a seminar um, last year, and um, I always wanted to see Harvard University. I said, we're going to take a day and go to Harvard University. You know, Harvard was started to train ministers <laughs> to preach the gospel. It's changed. But that was the original thought, was to train ministers to preach the gospel. And so uh, it's in a really bad section of town. It's just kind of nasty. It's not like a, dear Lord. Well, it's been there for 212 years. It's old. And so we're taking a tour. And, of course, you go through the library. They've got plaques and stuff. And so one of the things they talk about that they're very proud of is their endowment fund. Harvard has an endowment fund. And, uh, and so look, so what happened was years ago, uh, Harvard was, had, they had the number one business program in the world in their master's program. You get a master's in business administration, nobody does it better than Harvard. People come from all over the world to go to that business school. They're number one. And so they wanted to make sure they were maintaining their status, so they hired a company from Wisconsin to come in and survey all of their students and then track them for 10 years and see how well they were doing. Are we truly producing fruit? Even the heathen college wanted to know. And so here's what they found out. They came back, started 1979, 1989. They came back with a report, and here's what they found out. 84% of the graduates from Harvard with a master's degree, most expensive school you can go to in the world, with a master's degree. And here's what they found out. When they interviewed them their year, their senior year, here's what they found out. 84% had no plans and no vision. What do you plan to do when you graduate from the most expensive school in the world? What are you going to do? Well, dear God, we don't know. We're just trying to get out of here. We're just trying to pass. We're buried in books and stuff. 84% had no plans. 84% of people coming out of the most expensive business school in the world had no plans. 13% <laughs> had plans, but they weren't written down. You got any plans? Oh, yeah, we're planning to do this, do this, do this. 3%, 3% of that graduating class had written plans. Now you can find this, you can find this in your public library. People think you're making this up. Nope, this is what they did. They came back 10 years later, and here's what they found out. The 13% who had plans, though they weren't written down, were making twice as much as the 84% combined. The 3% who had plans that were written were making 10 times more than the 97% combined. Where there's no vision, you perish. Where are you going why do you want to go there? Because if you're not walking forward, you're griping about the present and the past. Not get me. Because there is hell on earth. That's why we taught this this morning. All these go together. We live on an alien planet. world is not our home. The devil's got demons trying to work against us. We've been given authority over, but we have to get aggressive news. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when nobody's chasing them. And so one of the things I learned working with young people and high school kids, they're just trying to get out of high school. They're trying to get a date on Friday night. They don't want to pass chemistry. They don't want to pass algebra. They don't want to go to school. Dear God, I'm just trying to get out of school. I don't want to go to school. Like, well, what are you going to do for a living when you get out? Oh, good job. Doing what? Why would I hire you? 
I don't hire you because you need a job. I hire you to help me do something I need done. I don't hire you because you need a job. Lots of people need a job. I'm not the Salvation Army. I'm hiring you because you got a skill I need. What if you don't have a skill? I'm not hiring you. I feel sorry for you, but I'm not hiring you. So all of a sudden, I begin to realize something. i got a plan of vision. So we begin to work with the students. And we'll go into this a lot tomorrow night, but um, I would give tests. Uh, first, first week of school, I stopped letting the junior and high school go to class. First week of school, you come back to school, you will not go to class for a week. I'm not going to let you. Because, number one, you don't want to be back in school anyhow. You like summer. You hate coming back to school. You don't look forward to it. And, and so I'm going to put you in a separate room with just me and my administrator, and we're going we're to work on you all week. And so I'm going to talk to you all day long. I'm going to tell stories, Bible stories, history stories, funny stories, science stories. I'm going to eat lunch with them, more stories. At the end of the first day of school, when you come back, we would start school on Wednesday, not Monday. No Monday. School starts on Wednesday, going to Friday. On Monday, I would bring the students in, and I gave them all a test. We're going to take a test. They're in a giant auditorium, 7th through 12th grade. Okay, we're going to take a test before we go home today. We can't take a test, Mr. McGee. We've not been to class yet. We have no books. We have no stuff. No, you don't need a book for this test. It's an open test. I have gone, and I've got copies of the unemployment test. Now, you can't get them anymore, but at one time, you can get them for free. I've, made, I've got copies of the unemployment test for everybody. We're all going to take the unemployment test today. And I remember a ninth grader named Jeremy raised his hand and said, why are we taking the unemployment test? I said, because if you do not do well in school, when you get out of school, you'll eventually have to take this test. <laughs> I said, and I love this test. I've taken this test twice in my life. It told me what I was good at. Nobody had ever told me what I could be good at. Everybody told me what I wasn't good at. And so when I went and got laid off for the first time, I went and took this test. I remember going to the unemployment office. What are you going for? Well, they say they can get you a job. I need a job. I got bills to pay. I need a job. So I went down and came out and asked me to fill out some forms and stuff and didn't take a test. I said, no, I'm here to get a job. I just got laid off. They shut my plant down. I'm here to get a job. It's the unemployment office. They say you can get me a job. We can after you take a test. We need to know what kind of job to give you. Any job. I have no job. I'm taking any job. I'm not really picky right now. I need a job. Well, no, we need to know what kind of job. No, I don't care what, you understand, I'll do anything. I need a job. I, my rent's coming due. And if I said, no, you understand, you don't take a test, we don't get you a job. So I took the test. And I remember this heathen walked out about 30 minutes later, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and he just puffing. Well, Mr. McGee, based on the results of your test, we recommend you look for a job in one of these three areas. Stay away from everything else. <laughs> and for the first time in my life, Somebody told me what I could potentially be good at. So I began to change who I did interviews with, what companies I applied for. I realized I'm good at this. I'm not good at that. I don't want a job at that. I want a job at what I'm good at. And so that's eventually how you pay. How'd you become an engineer? I went to the unemployment office, and they pointed me in this direction, wiring cable, and I loved doing it. I just love thinking this way. And so I tell them, so the first day of school, we're going to take the unemployment test. Second day, more food, more stories. And the other day we got a test from the Psychological Testing Corporation out of Fort Worth, Texas. They do academic skills tests for public schools in America. They're going to give you a test to find are you good in math, science, English, history. Where's your strength? Don't major in something you're not good at. Major in what you are good at. Even they understand your gift will make room for you, bring before kings and make you wealthy, not your weakness. So what are you good at? Most people don't know. They're trying to be good at everything. Most people in our country, they're trying to be good at everything. So everybody likes them. I'm good at that and I'm good at that. No, you're not. Even the Apostle Paul that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament said, this one thing I do, 
I preach the gospel. Even when I'm making tents, I'm not a great tent maker, but I make tents to help me do the one thing I do. So what I'm trying to do with kids, what's the one thing you were called and gifted to do? They don't have a clue until you teach them. So then on Friday, more stories, more food, and it's my favorite test in the world. It's called Discovering Your God-Given Gifts by Donna Katie Fortune. That's a national bestseller. Chosen Books publishes it, and uh, they're retired in Jacksonville, Florida now, but they were professional educators in California, spirit-filled. They wrote an encyclopedia based on Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 9. Are you a perceiver, a motivator, a giver, an encourager? Because there are jobs that line up under those God-given gifts. Gifts aren't just for the body of Christ. They'll still work when you walk out on the parking lot. So what they did is design this incredible book and test. Now, I, I, the whole, it's take you forever to read the book. I tell people, just go to the middle of the book, take the test. Take you 30 minutes. Open book test, and you just answer honestly. Do you like this sometimes, all the time, maybe? And you answer, and it'll help you find out what are your top two gifts. For example, I am an exhorter and an administrator. That, that's my gifts. It's just natural. Um, now listen to me. I took F's on all oral book reports in high school and college. I never gave an oral book report, and you can't make me because I was incredibly shy. Now I climb trees, swim in a rock quarry, catch snakes, and uh, we did wild stuff, but I don't speak in public, and you can't make me. So I took F's on all oral book reports. My senior in high school, my English teacher loved me. She let me do artwork to make up because I won't, I'm not giving an oral book report. She said, I'll give you an F. I said, I've had them before. Give me one. Doesn't bother me a bit because I'm not talking. Now watch this now. The two things I would not do. Number one, I don't give oral book reports. Number two, airplanes scared the hair off my head. <laughs> I don't go near an airplane. Airplane fly over our farm, I'd break for the barn. <laughs> now I might have two frogs and a snake in one pocket, but I'm not getting near an airplane. When I was in the Cub Scouts, my den mother, Mrs. Sheets, took us to Lovell Field in Chattanooga to tour a Delta airplane. Now, I didn't know that. We got a little beanie cap on. It's our damn Cub Scout meeting. And we're in the back of our big Chevrolet station wagon. We pull up. And I knew what it was. It's the airport. I know what this is. And so I said, Mrs. Sheets, what are we doing here? Well, Joanna, we're going to tour a Delta airplane. And I, never, I was never disobedient much, really. I, was, I said, no, ma'am, I'm not going. No, Joe, Joe Allen, we're not flying anywhere. We're just going to walk up the front and see the pilots in the cockpit, walk through the plane, come out the back. No, ma'am, I'm not going. Well, you've got to go. No, ma'am, I'm not going. And so she got me out of the back and drug me through the, through, the, through the entrance and through Terminal 1 and going through Terminal 2. Now, they epoxy those floors. They're real slick. So she's dragging me. I'm going through Terminal 2, and that plane's parked there. And it's like, I can see it coming. And so, man, I, she's dragging My feet are locked, and she's just pulling me. And, of course, my other friends are looking at me. What is it? Airplane. Not going in an airplane. And we went by an I-beam, and I bear-hugged that thing. We went by, and I just screamed bloody murder. Man, great acoustics in a hangar. Ah! And so the maintenance guys are coming up trying to pry my fingers off like, ah! you know, and they wouldn't. I didn't go through that plane. And she, of course, she never did give me my Delta wings. She was so mad. Now, those two things as a child terrified me. Public speaking, airplanes. Now, God has a great sense of humor. <laughs> because all I do today is talk to people and fly on airplanes. <laughs> it's all I do. Now, I think, here's what I believe theologically. This is just Joe, not thus saith the Lord. I believe God knew what I was ordained to do, and the devil knew it, and he showed up early to try to shut that down in my life. There's stuff you're destined to do. God will never take it away from you. You can't sin bad enough. It's still in you. Your gift, your call is still sitting on the inside of you, inside of your children, your teenagers, your adult kids. They're gifted and they're called. 
but there's an enemy trying to work against it to keep it from manifesting. You understand that? The devil worked against Jesus. He didn't sin one time. They tried to shove him off a cliff, throw rocks at him. What's going on? The devil's trying to stop him fulfilling doing what he was put here to do. You understand that? So we went through, and so we've got three tests. So here's what we do on Monday. On Monday, we'd bring all the kids back into class again before they went to their official class. It said, based on three tests from three different places, three different organizations, they keep saying the same thing. This is what you could potentially be very good at. Based on these three tests, you will never be allowed to take these courses. Not at my school. You will take these courses because this is your gifted area. We're trying to help you excel. And then by the time our senior, uh, our senior, all of our kids out of my school went to college because we got them all scholarship money. Wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. People are going to pay you. Now, for example, there's the Barron's Book of College, college Scholarships. You can find it in any Barnes & Noble. So the Sears and Roebuck Encyclopedia. It's all the scholarships in America. For example, in uh, north of uh, uh, the border in, in Kansas, oh, gosh, what's the name of that school? It's a small school. NAI school, but that school, if you are a left-handed, red-headed, violin-playing female, there is a full scholarship for you because a crazy rich lady left a scholarship for left-handed, red-headed, violin-playing females. Now, I'm not making this up. You can go to Barnes and buy this book. There are thousands and thousands. College of the Ozarks in Branson, Missouri, you don't need to know anything. You just show up. They'll give you a scholarship. Now, you're going to milk cows, bell hay, and work in their factory. But you can go there for free. I got three of my students went there because they couldn't afford college. And I found out, we're going to find out what you're good at, and we're going to get you real good at it. And people are going to pay you money for your gift. You get paid for what you're good at. You don't get paid for what you're not good at. And so kids that would hate school, I said, I've got to change your attitude about school. School's good. My people destroyed for lack of knowledge. So we're going to start with who you are in Christ, in him. You're gifted. You're blessed. No, you're not good like them. You'll never be able to diagram a sentence. I hated diagramming sentences. Who cares where it goes? I, when I talk, I don't speak in diagrams. <laughs> well, it broke down which words you should and should not use. It was important, but I, what we don't like, we make fun of. You understand that, don't you? The sin nature. Uh, we quoted it yesterday, Romans 2, 1. Be careful when you judge somebody else. When you judge somebody else, you condemn yourself, for it takes one to know one. I will make fun of what I'm not good at. You ever hear a human making fun of somebody or something? It's because they're uncomfortable and they're afraid. That is a defense mechanism. Criticism is a defense mechanism. Mark then of a perfect man, and that man is peace. People that know who they are, they don't have to prove anything to anybody. They're just comfortable with who they are. So we went through and we test them. So anyhow, we began to lay out what they could and couldn't take. You know, I remember this one kid, he was, he was signed up for trigonometry. Now I knew he shouldn't be in there. I said, why are you in there? Why are you taking trig? I saw your test results. You shouldn't take trig. You'll never pass trig. You're barely going to get out of algebra. So what are you doing? And finally he said, well, it's because my girlfriend's in there. Really? Well, your girlfriend is really good at trig. No, you're not. If you stay in trig, you'll never play another basketball game. You're going to be ineligible for the rest of this school year. Plus, you're going to end up working for your girlfriend because she's going to have a good job. And you're going to work for her because you're not good at what you do. Get out of this class and go find out what you're good at and get real good at what you're good at, not at what she's good at. Oh, that was good. So then we put together this binder. Now, I did this um, for my kids trying to help them find a spouse. I said, I want you to get married, have a bunch of babies, be blessed, have grandkids. Goodbye, y'all. 
but you got to know who you are first. If you don't know who you are, you will marry your weakness. Humans marry their weakness. They marry what they're not good at. You know, you, know, you got to watch this. And I, tell, I was telling you, most of you are like kind, draws like kind. Weak people marry weak people. Look at all the pairs of couples in the Bible. Ahab found Jezebel. Ruth found Boaz. You'll find the same attitude you've got. you got to think about it. Go work on yourself. So I put this book together. Now, this is my personal one. People say, why don't you put that in? Well, because I'm just trying to be open. Uh, this is called This Is My Life, trying to plant a vision inside of kids, inside of adults. This is who you are. Listen, I've got adult men come by my office all the time in Tulsa because we've been there for 30 years. Had a friend of mine got laid off from American Airlines. Big money guy, white collar, got laid off. They cut back. They're cutting back, you know, almost went bankrupt. He came out of the office. He's 52. He's devastated. My God, my whole life's over. My kid's going to have to drop out of college. I'm probably going to lose my house because he makes big money, but he's at a high payout time in his life. He's not crested yet. And so I said, well, what do, you, what do you do? What are you good at? I mean, he told me what he was with America. I said, no, no, what are you good at? What's your gift? And he goes to my church, and we've known each other a long time, and he had no clue what he was good at. I said, listen, just because you got laid off, your gift that makes room for you is still in you. It'll still make you money. Just because that door shut, your gift didn't disappear. The job disappeared. God's gift in you, still there, still active, still is running. Somebody will pay money for it. God gifted you to be a blessing to somebody, so there's somebody that needs what you're good at. Maybe not American Airlines, but somebody needs what you're good at and will pay big money for it. And so we had to go through the same thing. I did all three tests with him in my office. It took almost a week. I said, let's find out what you're good So you're confident. It's not just me. Well, you're just an encourager, Joe. Yes, I am. I'm an exhorter. I'm a, I'm a cheerleader from heaven. But I'm telling you the truth. I am an encourager, but I'm telling you the truth. And so let's find out what you're good at. Well, he owns his own business now in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, making more money ever did at American. Your gift, just because you got fired, laid off, cut back, rolled back, you still have a gift. It didn't go anywhere. God didn't take it away from you. The gifts and callings of God without repentance. Once he gives you, he doesn't take it away. There are heathens using their God-given gift tonight, making millions of dollars, real stinking famous, living really good. They don't know Jesus from a stick in the mud, but they're using their God-given gifts. There's athletes, NBA athletes, uh, NFL athletes, uh, baseball athletes. They, they cuss, the blue streak, and blaspheme the name of God. Yeah, but they're stewarding their gift. It's a shame to be a Christian and not even know you had one. That's a shame. So this is the book I put together. This is my life. This is mine, so I'll kind of go through this real slow. The, the front, this is all secular. This is out of books in the public library. These are the meaning of names. My name is Joe Allen McGee. All Southern boys have two first names. Billy Bob, Jimmy Ray, Joe Allen. Mamas can make up their mind, so we all have two first names. And my actual name is Allen. I was Allen McGee until I went into the Army. I'm Allen. It was a middle name deal. Joe Allen. I'm Allen McGee. I'm not Joe. And so my first day in basic training, drill instructor, they go, your last name first, first name, last middle initial. And I tried to help him and said, well, my name's not Joe, it's Allen. Now, I won't tell you what happened after that. <laughs> but that day, that day, March 16th, I changed my name to Joe. And I've been Joe ever since. My drill instructor changed my name. <laughs> What's your name? Joe. My name's Joe. <laughs> and I do. My mama still calls me Allen. No, my name's Joe. Everybody knows me as Joe. Why? My drill instructor, he changed it for me. Yeah, it wasn't funny what had happened. So here's my name, Joe, and this is the meaning of it. And it's a Hebrew name. Allen's an Irish name. means harmonious and handsome. I don't know about that, but anyhow. 
This is the literal, this is, a, this is not Christian, this is just out of the book. Joe Allen McGee, a man able to bring about increase and improvement in people and situations, teaching and pers persuading with spontaneous impulse, telling stories. It's what I do. Whether I serve God with or not, what do you do? I'm not talk. What do you do? I tell stories, Bible stories, teach. I inspire people. That's what I do. I'm an exhorter. I can give it to you spiritually. I can give it to you right out of a book in a public library. What do you do? God knew who you were going to be named. Kids, I don't like my name. Quit stealing somebody else's name. Make your name famous. How would you like to be named Engelbert Humperdinck? <laughs> I bet that went over big in kindergarten. <laughs> Make your name famous. Quit stealing somebody else's honor. Get your own honor. Oh, my goodness, that was good. So here it is. I put this together for my kids. This is the first page in the book, Psalm 139, verse 16. All the days in my life are written in a book in heaven before I was born. There are bookshelves in heaven. There are books. Every human that's ever been conceived, whether they made it out of the womb or not, has a book with their name on the end. God saw us coming. Before there was an earth to stand on, there were bookshelves, and every human that's ever been conceived, whether they made it or not, God's got, this is your book. What is it? These are my plans for your life. Well, what happened? Well, there's a thief called the devil. He's going to try to stop. He'll try to stop you from even making it out of the womb. Oh, this is going to get real exciting here. Watch this. All the days of my life, I'll read down here. It says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God sees the future. I like this, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before my mother met my father, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I appointed you and set you apart, consecrating you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before your mama met your daddy, God saw you coming and what you were called and gifted to do. I'm not an accident. There are no accidents. I had a father introduce his three sons to me one time. Uh, I was down in Atlanta, Georgia. I said, Joe, don't you meet my boys? This is Billy Ray and... It's Jimmy, it's Timmy, and we weren't expecting Timmy. He is a surprise. And he's talking. I'm sitting there listening. It's just finished. One of my parents said, Timmy, he is an accident. I said, really? You ever had biology? <laughs> I'm not making this up. I was just mad. I said, because the kid's listening. What do you kids think? I was an accident. My name didn't want me. I was an accident. I wanted me. I tell you, I've changed. I've had more letters sent to me over this than anything else I've ever taught. You're not an accident. God saw you coming. Hell might try to stop it, but you're not an accident. Whether your mother and father ever loved you or not, there's a God in heaven who loves you immensely. Got a divine plan for your life. Going to order your steps, direct your paths, put angels around you, protect you, talk to you when you go to sleep and get up. Your earthly father may have never loved you. Your heavenly father loves you immensely. Has great plans for your life. So quit getting hung up on what some human did or did not do for you. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> this one, I love this one right here. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. This is my favorite. God told Israel. Now, this is written to <laughs> Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This was written to people going into captivity because of the sin of their country. The day's not going good. Parents are dead. Pet goat's dead. You're going to be a slave in Babylon. Jeremiah sends a letter. Basically saying, you can read all of Jeremiah 29, the whole letter's good. I know your day's not going good. You know, things are dead. And you're going to be a slave. Jeremiah 29, the message translation, God said, I didn't do this to you. You did this to yourself. I didn't do this to you. And then he said, I know the plans I have for you, you people going into slavery, you people going into Babylon, you people, the parents are dead. 
I have plan I know the plans I have declares the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. I know hell just slapped you sideways. I didn't do it. I have no plans to harm you, you thumb sucking sinners. I'm paraphrasing the message. You can read it. I have plans to bless you. And you've got to get this in your deep because we all go through opposition. Everybody gets a bad one. What are you doing? It's just hell trying to stop. Now, if I've sinned, God will talk to me. He'll convict me. God's a con he not condemn me. He'll convict me. Joe, we need to deal with this. Father, I'm going to repent quick, forgive quick. I give no place to the devil. But I also know there's opposition. Tests and trials come to everybody. I've got to get it in me. God has no plans to harm me. If you don't get this in you before you leave home, you'll struggle this all your life. Nobody ever gave me a break. Nobody ever gave me a raise. Nobody's going to. Where did you read that at? There's no chapter and verse on that. God's going to bless you, whatever you put your hand to. Surrounds you with peace. Bless you. I mean, it's going to be incredible. I like this, Jeremiah 33, 3. God says, call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not. Now, it's the same thing that I do when I do prayer. God's got plans for it, but he won't tell you if you don't ask him. And I get it all the time. I only deal with believers. God well, never told me nothing. You've not asked him. Do you remember ever asking God for what he's called and gifted you to do? Well, it's just bad times. It's always been bad times. You mean to give you some history books? It's always been bad. Have you ever asked God what he's got for you? Because until you get that in you personally, you're not going anywhere. You're going to blame somebody the rest of your life. You'll, be, you'll have what we call a loser's limp till the day Jesus. You know what? I haven't been for my daddy. I haven't been somebody. I haven't been for my mommy. I haven't been somebody. My teeth passed me. I haven't been somebody. Coach and play me. I haven't been somebody. You're a thumb sucker. Now, I've done it. I'm not making fun. I've done it. I've been there where you realize, man, what's going on? You. Not my fault. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You get to trust God for yourself. I like this one right here. Uh, Romans eleven twenty nine 29 said, God's gifts and his call will never be withdrawn. Mm -mm -mm. He will never go back on his promise. And he said, I don't care how bad you sin. God said, my gifts, my calling is still on you. I'm good. I draw the unbeliever out of my goodness. My son died for sinners. I'm not mad at him. I'm trying to save them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another faithfully in administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, basically, King James kind of says, as every man has received a gift, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He whose gift is speaking, speaking as the oracles of God. He whose gift is serving, serving the ability God gives. Uh, if you go to, in St. Louis, they have, uh, oh gosh, big employment office where they rate jobs. They put basic average salaries for average jobs in the five areas of America. And so they classify all jobs in two categories, speaking jobs and serving jobs. Now, God said it first. There are people who love to speak. Uh, they're salesmen. They're politicians. What's your gift? Speaking. What's your gift? Serving. I'm an electrician. I'm a plumber. I'm a carpenter. I'm an engineer. I make money by doing stuff. Everybody's got a gift. I don't want to have your gift. I don't have your gift. I want to know what my gift is. I want to find my gift and re get real good at it. Okay? My father's a great electrician, but we learn from other people. Then uh, the Romans chapter 12 uh, list, uh, discovering your God-given gifts. This is my list. This is the test I took out of that book I'm mentioning. So this is my list. Um, this is what it says I would be good at. This is my top list. Number one, I would be a great advertising executive. I would be a good ambassador. I would make a great auctioneer. <laughs> I've tried that twice. This is fun. 
I would make a great guidance counselor, been one. I'd make a great minister, R1. I'd be a great personnel manager, been one. I'd be a great public relations director, been one. I'd make a great recreation director, been one. I'd be a good religious education director, been one. I'd be a good writer, R1. It's not an accident. What is your gift to make room for you? Now, why am I teaching this? Because in marriage or parenting, everybody's got a sad story. Humans disappoint us. We disappoint ourselves. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day and they get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. Every day you're going to get to either repent or forgive. What are you doing? Growing in God's grace and knowledge. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to spit this dirt out of my mouth, repent real quick, and get back up. Or I'm going to forgive somebody. I'm not going to let somebody's offense take hold of me. I'm not going to get sidetracked because I'm mad at somebody. I'm going to forgive them quick, turn them over to God. So all of a sudden you begin to realize, what is it? I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at, and I'm going to do it. Now, here's a scripture I'm going to give you tonight, Psalm 112. You look at this, Psalm 112. There's a lot of Psalms in the Bible. I love this one. This is one of my favorite ones. Psalm 112, a reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 1, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. Everybody say joyful. joyful. See, you talk about the fear of God, people start getting scared. No, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. People that fear God are really happy people. Why? I'm pleasing God and I know it. There's no doubt in my mind. I may not be perfect, but I am pleasing God. I, the fear of God, have mercy. They are joyful. Those who fear God are joyful people. And delight in obeying his commandments. Their children... Whose children? People who fear God. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy. All their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are righteous, compassionate. Watch this now. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously, conduct their business fairly, such people will not be overcome by evil. It didn't say evil wouldn't make a run at me. It just says it can't take me out. Who have mercy. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. It didn't say I wouldn't hear bad news. It said I won't fear bad news. Oh, my goodness. They are confident. They trust, they trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless. They can face their foes triumphantly. It didn't say test and trials will come. I will face foes triumphantly. I will not be overcome with evil. It didn't say bad stuff wouldn't make a run at you. It said you'll be more than a conqueror and overcome. Why? I'm trusting God. God's going to work all things out to my good. If the devil stole something, he owes it back sevenfold. You've got to get to the point where you don't get panicky every time something bad happens. Oh, dear God, well, what is it now? What do you mean, what is it now? You're on an alien planet. Resist the devil. Speak the word of God. Forgive quickly. Repent quickly. goes on and says this. They can face their foes triumphantly. Verse 9. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. Oh, my goodness. Make a bumper sticker out of that. Can you imagine that? If you just, if you just fell on that one stick, what are you going to have? I'm going to give you influence. What? Influence. People are going to know your name. A good name is to be chosen more than riches and silver. I'm going to give you a good name. You're going to have influence. And you're going to have honor. What? Honor. Now, I guarantee you, the people that read this had lost honor. <laughs> had none at the time. Why is God writing this? Because they didn't have any. 
This is your promises. What is it? The devil has done a head stomp on you, but I'm going to give, if you'll fear me, I'm going to give you influence and honor. I, th- I prayed over my kids. Every, twi- again, twice a day, those prayers I prayed, my kids have influence and honor. I said, you ought to have a, when you go to work for a company, your goal ought to put your name on the building. What's your goal? Put my name on the building. I'm going to own this eventually. People say, you're just making up stuff. No, I said, we have influence and honor. Let's go after it. Somebody's going to put their name on the building. Why not you? Somebody's going to get a promotion. Why not you? Somebody's going to get a raise. Why not you? Somebody's going to be honored. Why not you? What are you doing? Waiting at the back of the bus, waiting for somebody to feel sorry for you? They're not. Get up there and do something. Be bold. I love that. So they have uh, influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. People hate it when you get blessed. You go through hell and people will show up at your house. And they'll cry and bake you food and sit up with you. No, we're so sorry. We're going to pray for you. You buy a new car and nobody's going to show up. You get a raise, you get a new house, buy a new apartment, you can get something nice happen to you. Hey, we want something. We're going on vacation. So, I guess you think you're somebody. Because hell loves company. They don't like it when you break out. Now, guys, I tell you, I always, you ever go to Turtletown, Tennessee, you turn by Nicholson's store, and that log cabin that is dilapidated, sagging on every side, still stands there that I lived in the first five years of my life. The outhouse still sits on the railroad ties over the creek out back. I know where I came from. But as Oral Roberts said one time, God ain't poor no more. I'm, t- I'm tired of blaming humans for my life. We blamed all humans. Stinking boss, stinking this. No, no, stinking me. I need, to get, I need to get my life together here. I need to feed on the word of God. God needs me to go be a blessing to somebody, not thumb suck about my own lack of something. And I used to tell my kids, how are you going to get blessed? Go give what you got. Go do what you can. Well, I don't have any time. Well, make some time. I don't have any money. Well, look through the couch. There's some change in there. Start somewhere. You got to start somewhere, not wait till your boat comes in. Oh, my goodness, and I'm blessed myself. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away. Their hopes thwarted. Their hopes thwarted. Mm. One of the things we're going to do when we uh, talk tomorrow night is uh, I'm going to hold it up. That's what I wanted to share when you're talking about family or parenting or marriage. I go back to the marriage thing. Before I'm going to marry anybody, I want to make sure. Do you know who you are? Yeah, but look, I want to marry them. We're so happy. No, no, no. Forget them. Who are you? Because if you don't know who you are, you'll suck the life out of them. You'll make them God. And that's why I told you when we go to divorce court, I take my seniors to divorce court every year for one day. I want you to see what happens to people who at one time swore their undying love to one another. Because you're going to hear every foul, damnable word you can imagine today between two people who one time swore before God they would love each other until death they do part. What happened? They had no clue what marriage was. They had no clue. Marriage is a covenant. You die at that ceremony. You promise for the rest of my life I'm living for you. Convenient, not convenient. Sickness and health, rich, poor. You know, we say it, we just don't believe it. Marriage is the second greatest thing God ever did on this planet. But we don't know that. I mean, I didn't know that. I, I wanted to get divorced three years into my marriage. I just wouldn't because I didn't want to be the first one in my family to get a divorce. I hated my wife. I hated her guts. I said nasty stuff to her. She said some pretty significant stuff to me. We shared a lot. <laughs> it wasn't until we got spirit-filled, got in the Word of God, we realized the reason we're in trouble, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. I can't change my wife. I, I, man, it freed up a lot of time. I stopped working on her. <laughs> God bless you. Go with God. 
I'm going to work on me. I'm so far behind, I'm going to spend the rest of my life working on me. And that really freed us up and really brought some joy into our life. So what we realize is salvation, life, blessing starts with you, what you believe, what you're doing. And then you're going to get opportunity every day with other people in your family, in your home, in your, in your job. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a blessing to a bunch of thumb-sucking, hell-bound people. That's what I get to do. I'm going to fix hell every day. I'm excited. Because if you don't get that in you, you are gripping constantly. What's not working, what didn't happen, what do you I fix stuff. That's what I do. Now, it's going to hold this up. I'm not going to get into it. Prayer is just, um, prayer is critical. Um, th these are all, I'm just going to hold it up. I'm not going to read it. These are all the prayers of Jesus. These are all his prayers. Now, there's duplicates, but I wrote down the one time at a time. So these are all those things. Jesus prayed constantly. Now, he's the son of God. He rose early almost every morning. Stayed up late. Stayed up all night sometimes. What's he doing? Trying to get the mind of God. What are you? I'm the son of God. You know everything? No, I've got to ask my father. I only do what I see my father do. I only say whatever my father say. That's why I've got to talk to my father a lot. You understand? Because I'm here as a man. I only do. So I'm asking God, Father, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? I mean, the Garden of Gethsemane, that's a classic prayer. He's sweating drops of blood. What's he doing? He's realized what's got to happen. Oh, my goodness. That's what's about to happen. I'm just, he just got a revelation. I'm going to get the dog beat out of me. They're going to hang me on that wood up there. And he's praised, Father, can you let this cup pass from me? Well, you're the son of God, don't you know? No, I'm here as a man. I laid down my glory in heaven. I'm here as a man. I only know what my father shows me. So he said, Father, can you let this cup pass from me? Nope. And then he said, all right, then. Not my will, thy will be done. Even Jesus had to pray every day. And then these are the prayers. I love these. These are the prayers of the apostle Paul. And you've got some John and James in there. It's like, man, he pounded heaven, prayed constantly. He said, I pray in the Holy Ghost more than all of you. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Now, he still went through hell. I read all the stuff he went through. Man, I'm, I don't know. Maybe you need to pray more, pray less. You sure are stirring hell up. <laughs> Paul couldn't go into a city without stirring up a riot. Why, the devil knew he's coming. He said, look, you can beat me to death, chain me. You know, I'm just going to pray, and we'll have the chains fall off, the doors will fall off the hands, and I'll get the jailer saved. You can't stop. You can sink my boat. I'll just get the heathen king on the island saved. It didn't stop hell from happening, but he always worked it out to his good. So same thing in marriage, same thing with your children. My kids have not always been perfect. There's been times like, well, help me, Jesus. <sighs> Maybe we should have stopped it too. <laughs> you know, you have those thoughts, you say it out loud. Like, like, what was I thinking? Oh, Father in heaven. Just for a brief moment in time, I still got this. My Lord, help me. No, they're a gift from God. Psalms 127, Psalm 128. Psalms 112, my seed will be mighty. They're a gift from God. What are we going to do? I get to keep working with them, working on them, praying for them. So we go through tomorrow night, we're going to pick this up. How do I get, how do I turn things around? How do I get things going in the right direction? Because what I'm trying to tell you is quit thinking you're, you're unusual. Nothing has ever happened to me. Oh, shut your face up. Bad stuff's happening all the time everywhere. We are the salt and the light. We are the problem solvers. We get to storm the gates of hell. We get to wear our armor. We get to hold up our shield. It's what we get to do, not what we have to do. Now, there was a, oh, mercy, there's, I just got to watch how I do this. There was a, I love storytelling. My, one of my favorite stories is that Lou Holtz, who's commentator for ESPN television, 
uh, Lou Holtz, uh, coached at Notre Dame. He's a football coach at Notre Dame. Of course, he started at South Carolina and went to Arkansas, Minnesota, Notre Dame, back to South Carolina. Uh, greatest storyteller probably in America, but he was telling a story when he went to Arkansas, he'd been to New York Jets. He thought he'd go pro. Well, it didn't go good. <laughs> so he kind of lost his job. So Arkansas hires him. So he's going to Arkansas as a football coach. Of course, I don't know if you know much about the Midwest, but nobody wants to go to Arkansas. Even people in Arkansas leave. My pastor makes fun every Sunday. He said, anybody here from Arkansas today? <laughs> it's always him. We sure are glad you're coming. He said, if you'll put your high school diploma on your dashboard next week, we're going to let you park in the handicap section up close. <laughs> he said that every Sunday. Like, we get people walked out. You got to quit saying that. Anyhow, Lou Holtz is the head coach at Arkansas, and he's trying to build the program up, and he was always successful everywhere he went. And, uh, and so he realizes, okay, and so they're looking for people to come play. And so he's a great recruiter, so he sent uh, one of his assistants that he brought from New York with him. This boy had never been to Arkansas. So he sends him up north of Fayetteville. It's a true story. Sends him up north of Fayetteville uh, to recruit this 1A running back, trying to talk him into coming to the school. Now, this is before cell phones. So this New York coach, his assistant's up there north of Fayetteville. Now, if you've ever been up there, it's south of Branson, north of Fayetteville. They still plow with mules up there. They still have mule day. I'm not making this up. I mean overalls, choo-choo hats, and mules. Country with a K country. Barbed wire fences everywhere. So he's up there, and he said, I'm driving down this dirt road, trying to read, trying to find where this 1A running back lives, out way out in the country. And so he's driving, he's not paying attention. It's a nice, warm, hot day, you know, and, and dust is flying everywhere. It's just dust up there is like snuff. <laughs> it's just incredible. So he's re trying to read, and he didn't pay attention, and he ran off into the ditch with his car. And that wasn't a deep ditch, but Arkansas dirts, it's snuffy. <laughs> you bury in it. So he buried that car right to the ground. <laughs> Gets out. He hadn't seen anything but cows and barbed wire fences for a mile. He's no houses, no stores. He's in the middle of the country. Great. So I think, well, I'll just walk forward. I know there's nothing behind me. Maybe I can find somebody. Walks about a half mile down the road, sees a farmer playing with a mule. And he yells at him, hey, you got a phone? I got my car stuck. I need to call a wrecker and get my car unstuck. The guy yells back, says, I'll come pull you out with my mule. No, I don't want a mule. I got to call a truck. You got a phone somewhere? I'll walk to your house. I'll just need to call a wrecker. I just need a wrecker. <laughs> No, I can't pull you out with my mule. I said, my coach is so mad. You ignorant hillbilly. I just thought. So he goes back and sits on the car. I said, it took him 30 minutes to walk around the fence line with this big mule. Now, he had never seen a real mule. Now, if you've ever seen one, I mean, they are something from a science fiction movie. They are big. Like, whoa, this isn't a donkey. This is a mule. This is a half breed. This is not normal. And so the guy brings that mule and he backs him up to the front car sitting in the ditch, just sitting down there. So it's hot. He says, here comes this farmer, backs that mule up, lowers the pull bar back, takes the chain, wraps it around his bumper, and gets up on the little ridge next to him. Okay, son, get in that car. So said, take your foot off the brake and put it in neutral. Old dust now, we're going to pull you out of the ditch. He said, now my coach thought, we're going to kill this mule. I'm going to end up killing the mule. My car's stuck. I don't have a record. We're going to kill this farmer's mule. He's going to kill this mule trying to pull me out of here. So he said, I get in the car. I'm sitting there and sweat's running off of me. He said, okay, get it neutral. You ready? And so he took the reins. He's standing up on the hill right outside his window, takes the reins. He taps Dusty on the backside. And old Dusty just walks up. Boom. Took the slack out of that chain, just leaned into it. And so the farmer gives it. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So he took the reins, and he hit Dusty four times and called him four different names. Come on, Francis. Come on, Mark. Come on, Bob. Hit him three times in a row, called him three different names. And that mule didn't even flinch. Just sit right there. Hit him the fourth time. 
Dustin. Come on, Dusty. When he called him Dusty, that mule stepped in the chain. Boom, 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 and pulled that car out of that ditch. It was incredible. So said my coach said he got out, man. Said he's trying to thank the farmer. Farmer's not saying a word. He backs old Dusty up, taking the chain off, putting it up. Said my coach tries to pay. Man, let me pay you. No, no, it won't help you out. You know. He said, man, that's incredible. I didn't know mules could do that. And said uh, he said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I'm looking for this one a running back. And the farmer said, oh yeah, he's down the road about another mile on the right. Can't miss his house. Farmer's just walking off. So my coach gets in the car. Thankfully, he's unstuck. He's driving around the farmer with the mule heading back down to the fence line, and it dawns on him. He said. Hey, wait, wait a minute. What's, what's all the name calling with the mule? <laughs> oh, Dusty, he's blind. If he thought he's pulling by himself, he wouldn't pull. <laughs> Let me tell you the number one trick of the devil. The devil's a liar. He's going to tell you all along. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody knows what you're suffering. Jesus knows. Angels know. God knows. Jesus is praying for you right now. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, ever. But now I can't go into it now because of time, but I'm going to tell you, prayer is going to have to be something you learn to do on a real regular basis. And I don't mean bow your head, suck rug, and get on your knees. And I believe in all of that. You can pray while you drive, while you work, do the dishes, mow the grass. Pray without ceasing, all manner of prayer. Pray in the Holy Ghost. What are you doing? I'm allowing God in heaven to leave you come on this planet and help me out. You know, when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, you're praying out your future. You're allowing God, the Holy Ghost, to pray through you concerning your future. I don't know what's going on five minutes from now. God does. I don't know what I'm going to need tomorrow. God does. And God said, if you allow the Holy Ghost in you, he'll pray through you my perfect will for your life. It's not what you do, do in church to show off and get a goose bump. It's to get the will of God done in your life, in your family, your children, your business. God's got great plans. I just read in that book, God's got great plans, but he won't bring them to pass if we don't ask him. He said, I know what you need. I know what you need. I need you to ask. So we're going to learn to ask. Amen? So let's stand up. Let me just do this for you while you're standing. Um, this is, uh, you can download this off of, uh, again, you go to joemcgeeministry.com. You can get this, and download this for free. This is, uh, this is what I gave to my kids years ago, and I, we do this every Christmas. This is the compact list, okay? Hundreds of scriptures on prayer, but this is my compact list. Just give it to you before we pray. Philippians 4, 6. Oh, this is the good one. Be anxious for nothing. Quit worrying about stuff. If I'm worrying, it's because I'm not praying. Be anxious for nothing, but... Watch this. But in everything. Everybody say everything. everything. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You got to pound heaven. You got to let him know. James 4.2 in the NIV translation, he said this. He said in the last of it, he said, you don't have because you don't ask God. I bet you're quarreling fight. You know why you don't have anything? You're not asking God. What? Prayer is just asking God. You don't have to get real religious. It's just ask God. God, I need some help. Good. You know, the greatest prayer in the Bible, Peter prayed when he was thinking, help. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was a great time. You know, you ever think about that? Peter's the only one Jesus got on to. Scolded his lack of faith. He didn't talk to the eleven, didn't get out of the boat. Huh? They're not doing nothing. I remember in school, coaches yelled at you when they knew you had potential. They're not talking to you. You're not worth talking to. It's good when you get corrected. There's potential. <laughs> That's for somebody. <laughs> Uh, 
1 John 5, 14, uh, the NIV says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to His will, we have His will in the Word. We know that He hears us. If we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. John 14, 13. John 14, 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 16, 23. I say, whatever you shall ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Up till now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that your joy might be made full. And then, of course, the class at Mark eleven twenty four. What's well, everything you desire when you pray? Believe you receive them. So I tell kids, you've got to quit griping and start praying more. You've got to almost convert. And I've done, I've done it. I mean, we were dealing with stuff. Like I said, I'm dealing with stuff with my family right now. I've got to get an answer for it. We've got one more answer today. I need about eight more. So we're making progress. <laughs> so all I do is I, and I hung up. I told him, he said, well, all I know is we've got the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God. God's going to work all things out for all of our good. You believe that? I do believe that. What is it? I don't have a clue, but God does. He's going to show me. Sometimes I used to tell businessmen, the holiest thing you'll ever do is take a nap. <laughs> Seriously, you ever get to thinking so hard you just don't, I don't know. God said he'd talk to you when you go to sleep, Proverbs 4. Go take a nap. Shut your brain down. Let God talk to your spirit. Just lay down and take you a 10-minute nap. I've had more times when I wake up and just have a word like, oh, that's good. That's it. And not a sentence, just a word. Just to realize yeah, that's it. That's what I need to do. Be still and know that I'm God. So here's what I'm going to pray. We prayed it this morning. I'm going to pray it again tonight for your family because I believe in it. I'm going to ask God to teach our family to fear him, surround our family with divine favor, and send godly friends in our life. God, do not leave us where we are. We, the worst thing that will ever happen to you, you don't have to sin. You get lured into mediocrity. And that's a horrible thing. It's lukewarm. Jesus said, I'll spit that out. No more mediocrity. We're going to chase God. So, let's all say this together in the close. Say, Heavenly Father, Father, I thank you for your word. Your word word is truth. truth. It sets me free. And it keeps me free. According to your word, I ask you, teach me and my family to fear you. Surround us with divine favor. Send to us godly friends. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, I believe that. Amen. Pastor, praise God. Good stuff again. Need an offering envelope? Raise your hand up. Brother Ray's back there to hand them on out. We don't have the bulletins out to the morning service. We don't have those things. We can stuff them in there. But hand them out just just as good. Raise your hand up. Need an offering envelope? Come over there and get it. All right, we'll be giving, taking an offering each of these nights, and the offering goes to, you don't have to write on the offering, Joe. It's all going to Joe. <laughs> so you, you can do that if you can write on it if you want to, but it's all going to Brother Joe. Making out a check, just make it out to ZCF, Zoe, Zoe Christian Fellowship, Zoe Ministries, whatever you want to do is fine. They'll all work to the same, same spot, and, uh, and then we'll give them one big check here at the, at the end. Saw some of you folks made it on back to the table. And uh, get on back there. And uh, do you have a? Uh, is there a, a combination discount? They do some things. Yep. We do 10%. I mean, combination. Yep. Okay. But if you bought one thing last night and one, you know, we won't do it. Nah, just uh, one to let you know that's, that's there because you're thinking maybe I'll buy two things. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll buy one. That will give you a little push. Go out here and get the get the little second thing there. Some good material out there. It'll help you out. 
want you to get that. Everybody got their offering ready? Father, we thank you for the blessing that we get to receive, listening to the, to the Word of God. We appreciate that. We know it's growing us up, challenging us, moving us beyond the places of being mediocre, and to keep pressing on. We thank you for the help that you give us in that. Thank you for this time we get to sow our offering. Brother Joe, the other places are going to be going after this. We just appreciate having them here. Amen. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Yes. Amen. Amen. If you are um, going around and take the offering up, I know that uh, you're probably going to think that Brother Joe and I are going to have a problem after tonight. And I want you to know we're not going to have a problem. We, we, we get along with each other. But uh, Brother Joe, I was a cross-country runner. Yeah, and I love cross country. I bet you did. Yep. And most of the places we were at, we were only got cow fields, you know. We ran up a dried up creek bed one time. Where's the grandstand? Uh, yeah, there's no, but um, uh, the people who arranged the cross country course at our college were much smarter. We started up in a location that was away from everybody, and no one was out there. And we would start, they'd shoot the gun, no one around there would be here because we always had our cross country meets during the soccer meets. And the soccer was going on down, 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 uh, down below the hill. We were up at the top of the hill where we started out. out. And so we would, uh, we would run, and after about a mile, we would pop out of the woods right by the soccer field. And so as soon as they saw us come on out there, oh, yeah, 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 they start cheering oh, us up. On, and, so, and we'd run up the side of the, the soccer field, and then right up the back side of the soccer field, all the fans were there on the back side of the, on the hill. And we just run up along there, and they'd be around there cheering, yeah, 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 go. And then we run all the way back up the hill to where we started. And then we come on back around again for another loop. And when we run right by the soccer field again, but we're not done. We go right on by there again, how you doing, world? And so we got to pass them two times, head on back up over the hill, come on back on around, and now we're coming around. And then we finish, we finished on the track around the soccer field, and they timed it so that we would finish at halftime. Goodness. Somebody's a genius. Somebody was thinking. Somebody's a genius. Somebody was thinking. So we had people built in who were not cross country fans, but cheered us on. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. They were they were soccer fans. And so we had we had lots of fans. There are all kinds of people out here <laughs> to watch us do it because we are you know they don't call cross country meets because it's raining. Or snowing. Or and there are no weather conditions that they call a cross country. They may call the they may call the soccer game. But they will not call the cross-country meet. We go no matter what. Cold, rain, heat, it don't matter what it is. You are running. If it's scheduled, you're going. Yeah, soccer people, we laugh at them. You guys, yes, you, you guys went home. <laughs> yeah, we're still out there. All you guys left. We're still running. Ah, <laughs> oh, we had fun. We'll be fine. We'll, we'll be okay. <laughs> All right. Tomorrow night, everybody know what time it is? 7.30 it is. We'll be back here at 7.30. And then uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, look forward to coming on back. And uh, Joe will be back there at the table. You can chat with him back over there as you pick up your stuff. Uh, no more than two minutes. Uh, nobody gets more than two minutes. If I see that, I'm going to come over there and get you and pull him away so somebody else can get there and talk to him. 